0: There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results.
1: Welcome to the Future Profits Podcast, hosted by Future Profits Consulting. I'm Trevor Smith, joined today by Jackson Subert, and we have got a special guest, Jackie Fatka, the Farm Progress Policy Editor, is going to join us to cover a few you know, hot-button policy issues that are talked about um, in the ag world today. Um, and then when we get to the end of the episode and we'll wrap this up, we'll, we'll have a little conversation at the end and, and relate it back to markets and, and how that can affect your operation. But I um, just want to start by um, getting some news and, and then trying to use that um, to, to make good decisions as that's what we, we always try to do. So with that, um, I'll say welcome to Jackie here. And uh, Jackie, go ahead and maybe give us a little uh, background on, I guess, your background and um, what you do there for Farm Progress.
2: Well, great. Well, it's great uh, speaking with you today. Um, I'm actually a, an Iowa farm girl uh, born and raised um, in southwest Iowa. I grew up on a small farm near Atlantic and uh, my dad had cow calf, and we had we finished hogs and also had corn and, and soybeans growing up. And so my dad still farms with my brother in Southwest Iowa. And so I still have a lot of admiration for what goes on in the farm. And a lot of what I do is to try to help decipher sometimes the often confusing world of policy when it comes to how it impacts farmers. Um, I've, I've been with Farm Progress Company actually since 2003. I'm a graduate of Iowa State and so I love my cyclones and always love talking with folks from Iowa as well and um, I, uh, I kind of got the bug for policy. I worked in Senator Grassley's office as a pork producer association Iowa Producer Association entered when I was in college, and have really been writing about ag policy for over 20 years now. And so, uh, I love to talk about policy. Sometimes people call me a policy wonk. Um, so excited to to dig into some of the bigger issues uh, that, that a lot of folks are hearing about with you today.
1: Yeah, for sure. We appreciate you taking the time. You know, you are talking to a couple Hawkeye fans, so we'll try to keep keep everything Sorry, keep everything I mean... civil here today, but. Uh, <laughs> we no promises. We should be good no to go. promises.
3: But no, we <laughs> No definitely...
2: promises. I mean, you got us for the football game. I don't know how, but somehow we we had a great basketball season. So I guess we'll take it this year, and we'll see what happens next year. <laughs> yep, we like to
3: see the state of Iowa doing well. But no, we really yes. do appreciate you having on on the podcast. Policy is definitely not a strong suit in this office, so. Uh, We're definitely going to lean on some of your expertise to kind of show us the light. But uh, the first thing on our agenda is the cattle price transparency, transparency legislation. Can you just give us a little update on kind of what's what's going on? What's what are you seeing lately? Um, Just kind of going there, laying the groundwork.
2: You know, so just kind of going back, you know, everybody came out of COVID and obviously some crazy things went on in COVID. But for the cattle market, we were starting to hear rumblings of issues really before that. And a lot of it started with the Holcomb fire at the Tyson plant in Kansas um, in uh, 2019, so really before 2020 hit, um, it was the fall of 2019 and um, some interesting things were happening and there was a lot of questions of whether the cattle market was transparent and if the those packers and those alternative marketing arrangements, if there was enough information to provide that needed transparency in the market. Um, I mentioned I was an intern with Senator Grassley. Ironically, over 20 years ago, when I was in his office, I remember writing a story about the bill that he had proposed, very similar in this cattle market, about establishing a mandatory 25% minimum of a spot market for hogs. And years ago, um, you know, you guys know this better than I do, but the 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 management side of actually trying to figure out what price is. The right price. A lot of that is based on the spot market when they have these marketing arrangements. And so, if there's not enough hogs in that case, but now cattle being sold on the spot market, the question is, you know, is there enough transparency? the The problem is in Iowa. You know, about 51 percent of the cattle that are sold from feedlots are actually with uh, marketing arrangements. But you get down into Texas and Oklahoma, you have less than 10 percent of overall sales that are actually based on cash, the cash market. So, you know, we've really had this this rumbling of, you know, what is the government's role? Should they come in and mandate a an actual level of how much should be traded on based on cash sales? And and does that provide the right amount of transparency? And so, you know, that's one component. This Cattle Market Transparency Act is introduced by Senator Grassley, as well as Senator Fisher, Senator Tester from Montana, and Senator Wyden from Oregon. And they first introduced it in November, 2021. And I think, you know, as I said, coming out of the Holcomb fire, as well as COVID, there was a lot of consensus that we do need to have more transparency. Now, whether that's a listing of prices, a contract library, which is something that there is widespread support. But when you get into the mandated levels of what can be sold and what the government is doing, I think that's where we have an actually not consensus. And so when you look at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, which is the largest group that's representing cattle producers from all over, as well as packers and processors, you know, they they just had a real problem with that. And actually, the Farm Bureau had come out with their grassroots policy that the mandated part is really what's concerning some folks. And so actually, I, I mentioned this bill was first introduced in November 21. And, and actually here just Yesterday, which March, uh, we're speaking here, March 29th, uh, March 28th, Grassley and Fisher reintroduced some changes to that bill, but the cattle, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association is still saying that this is going to create more of a headache, whether it's requiring mandated cash sales, not allowing someone to have an alternative marketing arrangement that they maybe had before So this is, this is not over yet. Unfortunately, I think there's um, still a lot of discussion that's going to need to be had within this overall, how do we create a, a more transparent market that serves the producers how it needs to.
1: So you say there's a you know a pretty heavy consensus on the maybe the contract library and not as much on the other part of it, the mandated you know cash sales. Is there thought or talk about breaking it apart or why does it continue to be in one bill I guess?
2: So on the house side, the house has actually taken a piecemeal approach. So the house actually did pass a cattle contract library overwhelmingly um, before the end of the year last year. Um, The Senate has not chosen to take that up individually. Um, You know, a lot of times with legislation, you think it would be easy to just have different pieces, but a lot of times you may try to put multiple pieces in one because you're more likely to have that get across the finish line. You may try to see that as a way to insert it into a must-pass legislation. You know, one of the vehicles that we've been talking about within this whole cattle market reform is the reauthorization of the livestock mandatory reporting, which is already a bill that's every five years comes up for reauthorization. We actually extended it once for one year. um, And then again, we've actually extended it again for another year. So some people are hoping to kind of insert this possibly into that. So the, the House has done the cattle contract library individually. The Senate has not. The appropriations bill, which actually just... Uh, the fiscal year 2022 appropriations, which we had a couple of CRs, continuing resolutions, how government does spending. It seems like we kicked the can. That actually included a cattle contract pilot that USDA was supposed to set up. So actually, right now on the books, one of the components in this updated bill does create the cattle contract, but it on a permanent permanent basis. And it would also kind of add in some requirements for USDA to look at it, work with industry, make sure that they're making any changes if they are are warranted. So, you know, they're trying to do that, but yes, both, both chambers have tried different ways. Um, This has not come up. The bill has been introduced in the Senate, but never come to the floor for a full vote or actually had a vote out of committee. So as the way the bills get from start to finish, um, I always remember those cute little videos that we used to watch when we were little on on how a bill becomes law. But, you know, it does have to be introduced. It usually has to come up for a vote within committee. And then it would need to, they could conference it. So if the Senate passes a virgin and the House passes a virgin, then they're different, then they could conference them. That's usually how our farm bills operate, where you have different priorities from different chambers. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of momentum, I think, but really the reaction I'm hearing from this updated bill from Grassley and Fisher is not something that the cattle industry is ready to get behind yet.
1: Yeah. No, you say that going back, you know, 20, 20 plus years, maybe there was something similar on the hog side and we never did see it maybe I'm wrong on that, but I don't think we ever saw a mandated minimum cash level, even for a period of time. Um, so I would think, you know, maybe it's similar unintended consequences that are holding people back now. were the same thing that, you know, held us back from doing something like that on the hog side 20 plus years ago. What are some of those that, that kind of jumped to the, the front of mind right away? Because I think it's easy, maybe it's easy to get caught on the, you know, we need the transparency and demand it to be 50%, but We've got to, you know, think about those unintended consequences. And like you're saying, you know, the Farm Bureau and the um, Beef Cattlemen's Association has not gotten behind it, and they're they're probably talking about these unintended consequences. So maybe just really quick, could you outline what their their top, you know, things are that they're discussing?
2: You know, I think at the end of the day, what what they would probably say is the biggest concern. The alternative marketing arrangements allows a processor to to pay more or less for a certain grade or quality of beef that they're trying to obtain from those producers. So their challenge is they want to make sure that they have the ability to have that premium, but they also don't want to be able to, they don't want to tell every, They There is a, there is a, a, you know, if you told everybody what you're getting, then, then there may not be as much of an incentive to have good quality but then on the, you know, on the flip side, there's also that, that checks and balances of, well, are they screwing everybody over? So there's, there's this line between transparency and knowing what prices are offered, but then also that line of, well, if you know exactly what everybody is getting, does that actually create a disincentive? And at the end of the day, there are some concerns that it could actually create a lower overall price. For cattle, and that's not the intent. I don't, I don't think any cattle producer would want fifteen to twenty dollars less per head, and that might be what they're, that, that you know, not even per head, but per hundred weight. So, I mean, those are those are real dollars that are starting to add up. So, I mean, I think that's the biggest thing. That line between transparency and and knowing, but maybe also having private public or you know private information for those processors you know, at the end of the day too, you want to have a robust market. You, you rather, you know, we don't have as many sale bars today as we used to. Right. But, you know, some, some outfits might only get one bid instead of having two or three. And so, you know, that's part of the, this whole uh, kind of look at the system in itself. We're starting to try to get more of those smaller processors or mid-sized processors, or even producer-owned processing facilities so you don't just have those big four. And I think that, you know, all of this kind of all comes together in how we make sure we have a viable beef sector going forward.
1: Yep. That was kind of going to be my next comment as well was with the increased focus on um, increasing, you know, processing capacity and and maybe getting some more competition in that. Is there a way that we're going to, you know, get to maybe a more transparent, um, viable marketplace without having mandates, which I think is where everyone would like to be. Um, But I guess we'll just have to to wait and see um, how this one plays out. Any any final thoughts you want to give on that? What kind of what I guess what are you looking for from a timeline on that um, cattle price transparency bill? Are you looking you know to have a decision by the end of the summer, or is it just one of these things that's going to continue to draw out for a period of time?
2: you know, it's an election year, um, an off election year, but it's still an election year. And so really the appetite for Congress to vote on anything as you go past this summer is more difficult. Um, The House Ag Committee will be holding a hearing at the end of April. Um, I would expect that this Grassley-Fisher bill might get a markup or a vote, out of committee. Now, whether it comes to the floor, I think that actually is a little bit harder to do. Um, so I, I, think, I think it is difficult to see it get across the finish line, but I think that's why they're really trying to push on it now. Um, you know, the NCBA is trying to do some voluntary efforts similar to this. So instead of mandating certain cash sales, you know, trying to just encourage that if it doesn't hit a certain trigger that uh, they would, you know, then it would require some different actions. So they're trying to kind of bring the packers around voluntarily instead of mandating, because, you know, sometimes once you get the government in, it's hard to get them out, And so I think it's just really, you know, cattle producers are about as independent as they come. So when you have such a a lot of folks who are really wanting the government involved, but then you also have a lot of folks who aren't, um, we've got to make sure that we do this right.
3: For sure. Uh, That leads nicely into our next uh, topic is going to be Proposition 12, kind of speaking about how the government may be leaning on getting a little bit more involved. It just came out yesterday that, Officially, the Supreme Court is going to hear the case. Um, can you give us a little update on that, what that means? Yeah, we'd love to hear your thoughts.
2: All right. So, I mean, just to bring people up, I think most people know what Proposition 12 is. But, you know, we I, we probably, a lot of us know it as Pro- Proposition 2 first um, was, was basically a, a 2008 mandate that California voters wanted to have uh, banning forms of animal confinement. So gestation crates for pigs, veal crates for calves, and cages for egg-laying hens. Um, So Proposition 2, which was from 2008, um, then basically went on steroids and uh, Proposition 12 was born where they were expanding that to be much more restrictive and also not allowing Any animals outside of the state to be sold inside. So it's one thing for California to say we don't want to have our hogs raised or our gestating hogs um, in crates. But it's another thing to say that to any pork that is imported into California. Um, And that's essentially what they've done. And so we, we have the Commerce Clause, which is supposed to be able to limit a state's ability from regulating commerce outside their borders. So this, is, this has been an ongoing legal challenge for several years, and it's finally ended up in front of the Supreme Court. And there's many different challenges to Proposition 12. We've had state attorney generals who have challenged it. The Supreme Court had actually turned that down. But as you mentioned, just yesterday, March 28th, and I should note that this is after over two months of waiting for the Supreme Court to make a decision because every Friday afternoon, we thought maybe this will be the Friday. Um, And this week, actually, this was the Friday. Um, They decided on on a challenge that was brought on behalf of the National Pork Producers Council and the American Farm Bureau Federation, both groups who are representing farmers that this case would go forward and they would be deciding on it. Um, and the main point of what the challenge is is whether a state can regulate production practices outside of the state. And so, you know, if, if you think about it, California, uh, an estimated 99.8% of the pork consumed in California comes from out of state. So it is a very wide net of those impacted by this rule and that's really why I believe MPPC and and the Farm Bureau were able to hope you know get the ear of the Supreme Court justices of you know maybe this is something that that needs a, a closer look at
3: um now that I, like now that it is just the simple fact that they are hearing it Um, Can you read the tea leaves on what that actually means? Because I know there's been kind of a lot of back and forth. Are they going to hear it? Are they not? Now it's officially out there. Um, Does that mean anything in of itself that they're actually going to hear it? Or are we just going to have to kick the can down the road and wait a little while?
2: All right. So the Supreme Court, just by the fact that they have chosen to hear a case, it does not mean it's a slam dunk that they will agree with farmers in this case. Um, I mean, but we do get a day in court. Um, the fact that they have her, uh, you know, this, this likely will be heard within the next, um, possibly by this fall. Um, it could go into 2023, but I think they're hoping that this would be on this year's docket because of the fact that they did grant, um, that it would be heard. Yes. You know, just now. So there's a pretty good chance we could know by this fall on what the ruling is. So that's a little bit on the timeline. Um, now, you know, a, a really, a lot of the Supreme Court justices don't really understand agriculture, don't really understand how a lot of this works. And unfortunately, as I was talking with one of my favorite lawyers, Gary Base, uh, is, is defended agriculture in a lot of these issues, you know, a lot of times we need Folks who really understand AG to represent these cases like this, but they don't usually the ones who are defending these cases before the Supreme Court because sometimes there's all these nuanced challenges that the opposing side might bring. So at the end of the day, you know this is really about HSUS and their their valid initiative that they were able to get across, and um, you know this the the hope. You asked about kind of the tea leaves. You know, the hope is that the Supreme Court would see the extreme economics that would result from this. You know, bacon is already in the double digits in California, $13, $14. This was before we had all this inflation. So I don't even know what bacon is now, but uh, there and. This was also supposed to go into effect this year, January 1st, 2022, and the California Department of Agriculture has not even put in all of the implementing rules for this. So not only do we have court cases that are holding this up, we now have the regulatory framework that is not finalized. So so hog producers really don't, don't know what they're going to have to do. Will they be faced with fines? Will we have a supply chain crunch? Will there not even be bacon that can be sold at your supermarkets in California because the law on the books, even though there's no implementing regulatory framework for it, says that you cannot sell if it's been confined in a cage at any point. And so, you know, this is just one layer of one layer of bureaucracy and idiocracy over one another. Um, And at the end of the day, I, this is going to be at least um, now. If it goes to the Supreme Court, this is hopefully would finalize. You know, this this is the end of the road. This is the only cop, the only left standing court challenge that can overturn it. So you know, this is all the eggs in one basket, or or as we could say, <laughs> all the bacon, all the bacon on one frying pan. Um, but hopefully, they are are going to get uh, a ruling that goes in the farmer's behalf.
1: For sure, yeah. Just out of respect to your time, we'll keep it moving. I'm sure we could we could talk about this one for for a period of time, <laughs> but um, just to keep moving on from there, we wanted to just get an update on uh, the renewable fuel standards. Um, I know there's been some stuff out there as far as those uh, small refinery exemptions. Uh, kind of the big the big talking point as of now is that still the the main talking point and and what we're continuing to watch, or is there anything else out there that you see changing in the future? I know year round, you know, E15 has been important um in different places as well are those kind of the i guess two of the main main things you're watching or is there anything else out there with this in regards to the renewable fuel standards
2: so each year epa sets the mandated levels of what they are they call the renewable volume obligations so what they suggest that the market should blend of all biofuels but mostly corn-based ethanol as uh, is, is mostly what we're using um, you mentioned the waivers, you know, within the Trump administration, we actually saw a lot of these waivers given because of um, small refineries asking for them. And it it did eliminate several hundred million um, bushels of corn demand and and several billion gallons of, of, I think about 4 billion gallons of ethanol demand over several years. So this administration, the Biden administration has come in and they have said that they will not allow uh, the small refiner waivers that are currently being, um, that were previously, but there is some, you know, they they could lower the, the amounts going forward retroactively. You know, we came out of COVID and obviously everybody stopped driving. So there was a lot less gasoline, which when we're blending the ethanol into gasoline, you're if your gasoline usage is down. Then it was also lower for blended amount. They've never done that retroactively, and that's what they've proposed. Um, so you know that's that's a, a challenge. And what they will do, we're still waiting for the final RVOs, those renewable volume obligations. So we're still waiting for EPA to say what those final RVOs will be for 2022. You mentioned the E10. Um, obviously, right now, a lot of talk about Russia, Ukraine, um, oil supplies, but gasoline prices are, are hurting at the pump. And for those who have the ability to use E15 or higher blends, the price is, is substantially less. And there is enough excess ethanol capacity here in the U.S. to totally replace all of the Russian oil that we import. And a lot of that would need to become coming from increasing our E10. You know, normally we went about 10 percent, but all cars are able to do up to E15. What happened, there was a court that said your EPA was wrong, to allow for a waiver to allow it up to E15, the, e, the 15%. It, it should have only, it, it's only allowed up to 10%. So that is meaning come come this June 1st and starting already in the spring, a lot of these retailers who are used to being able to sell that cheaper E15 gas, they can't. They have to, to only sell E10 because that's what EPA is allowed because of the waiver. Um, so there's some calls to try to get this administration to again make a change. But the fact that the courts have already found that not to be acceptable, I think it's really hard for this administration to come in and do that. So, you know, we really just need more blending of higher blends, with a 20%, 30%, um, E85. Um, but that's another issue. We don't have as many flex fuel vehicles that are on the road. It's hard for Farmers defined their flex-fueled pickup trucks, but now all of a sudden we're going to have electric pickup trucks, and the automakers have kind of shifted away from this focus on trying to have more bio-friendly fuels being used in our, our vehicle fleet, and now we're trying to do electric, which you know biofuels really is a solution today, and unfortunately that's not being looked at as much.
1: Yeah, no doubt. I, I agree with, with everything you've got. You've said there. So um, that, that's all good stuff. I don't know if there's anything else we need to to beat home on that one. So with that, <laughs> um, we'll just go on to, you mentioned that there, you know, the discussions around the farm bill, um, what are kind of the big things you're watching there? Producers should be watching there, um, paying attention to and, and just noting.
2: You know, I think uh, we are are heading into September 30th, 2023 is the expiration of the current farm bill. And so the House is already starting to do some of that work on on the oversight of the current bill and what changes in hearings. You know, I'm one, one or two hearings a week are on that. The Senate, it's not as much. But I think, you know, big things for folks to watch. It will be important on who regains uh, or who gains control or change in control if we have it within the Senate and House leadership. you know, Right now, it's all Democrats who are in charge of the Senate and the House. If we see one House flip or both House flips, that will be a considerably different focus of um, how the Farm Bill is written. I think another big component of the Biden administration is a focus on climate and ag's role within climate. So. The conservation title of the next Farm Bill, I expect to be of great importance of being able to accomplish some of those goals of this administration and how to do that in a way, whether it's equip funding, conservation security program, you know, CSP um, or other regional conservation partnerships that are between public and private partnerships. And so I, I think definitely the conservation title will be important to watch as we go forward to see how that helps accomplish some of the climate goals.
1: So this is also your pitch to everybody to get out and vote. Is that what you're saying?
2: I mean, <laughs> yes, I, I, it really, it, it really will make a difference. Um, And in And also, too, a lot of the need to re-educate, right? I mean, we have fewer and fewer people who understand farming. And we are more, you know, overall, our population is more disconnected from the farm. But when it comes to people on Capitol Hill, that is becoming more and more people who are not even from a district or a majority of the people who voted for them in their district are no longer Representative of a lot of the values that that those in agriculture hold,
1: for sure. And that's only only going to be a continuous fight. You know, I, you don't see it reversing right now. So that's something that I think we we've got to continue to pay attention to and and educate people where we can and and show off the benefits and the good stuff we do on out here. Um, so yeah, with that, um, Jackson. Anything else you wanted to add, um, or did we get, we get it all covered there?
3: I think so. Uh, we appreciate you coming on. We covered you know, the, the quick and dirty of it. So again, policy is not our strong suit. So we appreciate you uh, shedding a little light on things that we are just more than clueless about. So uh, (laughs) hopefully our listeners enjoy it as well. Um, Cut through it. Um, In today's day and age, it's hard to figure out what's, you know, what's true and what's not. So we like to uh, give them a little, a little something that they can put some stock behind.
2: Well, good. Well, it was a a a great experience talking with you and if there's ever an issue that that you want to dig into I'm always happy to to put on my policy wallcat and and I as I always say I like policy not politics so yes please go vote but don't ask me who you should vote for so <laughs> I, I do love the policy side and, and trying to make sure that we have good policy that, that works for those who I love most, which I love a lot of farmers for sure. So great talk with you guys.
3: Yeah, thank you. And for our listeners, um, some of the references that we have today and will be linked in our show notes. And then uh, where you can find a little bit more about Jackie and some of her articles and stuff will also be linked in there. So uh, give her a look. She's got some great information, obviously, as you heard today. So yeah. Um, Hopefully, fingers crossed, we didn't scare you off. Maybe we can have you again uh, as these things continue to progress.
2: Would love to you.
3: Thank you.
0: There is a risk of loss in futures and options trading. We discuss profitability as it pertains to the business as a whole and not the hedging account specifically. The information contained in this publication is taken from sources believed to be reliable but is not guaranteed by FPC nor any other affiliates, subsidiary, or employee collectively referred to as FPC and is intended for the purpose of information and education only. Nothing therein should be considered as a trading recommendation by FPC. Past performance is not indicative of future results.